stand together as Noah comes to read from God's word for us today. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, verses 31 through 37. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we continue on in our summer on the mount through this section where Jesus' teaching is light and easy, not hard for us to dig into, I want to begin today with what is one of my favorite stories. It's called True Love, and it was written by a nurse. She writes, On a busy morning at our clinic, an elderly gentleman in his 80s arrived to have stitches removed from his thumb. He stated that he was in a hurry and that he had another appointment. So we began to engage in conversation, and as I worked on his thumb, I politely asked why he was in such a hurry. The gentleman told me that he needed to go to the nursing home to eat breakfast with his wife, who had been there for several years suffering with Alzheimer's. I asked if she would be worried if he ended up being late. He replied that she no longer knew who he was. She hadn't recognized him in five years. And so I asked, you still go every morning? Even though she doesn't know who you are, he smiled, patted my hand, and replied, she doesn't know me, but I still know who she is. I love that story. Such a beautiful picture of what a marriage built on true love can look like. And it stands in such stark contrast to many of the ways that marriage is described in our culture. And even in other cultures around the world, there are so many places and in the, the words of so many people, marriage is demeaned. And if that is true in our day, it was very much true in Jesus' day. This part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus deals with marriage and divorce is not the only place where Jesus talked about marriage. He used this kind of language on multiple occasions and it's very clear as you read through his teaching that there were far too many people among God's people in the first century who no longer held covenant marriage to the high standard that God had set and had given by design for his people to live and uphold this high standard of covenant marriage. This section of the Sermon on the Mount, as we've talked about, Jesus is digging into some well-known commands that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people knew that they could recite, but he's constantly telling them, look, it's not enough to just know the law, and it's not enough to find some sort of a caveat or to find some sort of a loophole or to find some way to say, I've, I've checked off this box, but the commands of God are not truly written on your heart. 
Just like in our day, there were many in Jesus' day who were always trying to find an exception or a justification to not truly have God's heart and display God's character, but rather to simply live the way they wanted to live. And so Jesus, once again addressing what it means for God's people to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, digs into the Mosaic law, the law about which he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to give you another way out of the law or God's commands, but I came to make the law even more alive so that you would see at the heart of it that the work God is trying to do in you is the work of transformation, of making you a completely different person, starting in your heart and flowing through the way that you live. So this is not about religion. It's not about legalism. It's about that transformational work that God is doing in our entire being. And so, as we dig further into what the transformed life looks like, I want to remind us of the the statement that I hung over last week's commands that we'll hang over this week and then next week when we finish this section as Jesus digs further into the Mosaic Law. That God sees all of our hearts all of our ways and all of our steps and he commands us to pursue christ likeness in them all that's how scripture describes this transformation that we are day by day as we follow jesus being transformed into the image of jesus christ so that our goal is christ likeness our goal is not to hold ourselves or any other person up as the example and the standard but christ alone and to pursue that christ likeness in every aspect of our lives and so absolutely as jesus continues he sets some very high standards some might even feel like impossible standards but i remind you again also what i said last week without him these things are impossible But with God, with Christ, all things are possible. And as we dig into these commandments further, how Jesus describes what true disciples believe, how they think, and how they live, he first deals with the covenant relationship of marriage. That true disciples honor God's standards for the covenant marriage relationship. And he begins with in this case not a command but a practice that the people of god had developed and the jewish people in and around jesus teaching were were putting into practice as they dealt with marriage and divorce he's referring here to deuteronomy chapter 24 when jesus says it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce here's what god had said to his people through Moses in Deuteronomy 24. If a man's wife finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he will write her a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand, and send her away from his house. Now, if you dig in a little further 
to, to Jesus' teaching on divorce throughout the Gospels, you can see clearly that for many people, this was all that mattered. It wasn't about covenant marriage. It wasn't about even having a legitimate reason to bring that marriage to an end. For them, the letter of the law simply meant, hey, I put that piece of paper in her hand. I dotted the I's, I crossed the T's, I gave her the certificate, I gave her the bill, she's free to go marry someone else, and so am I. And for many, that was the standard of righteousness and obedience related to marriage. But Jesus is saying in this teaching, oh no, God has a much higher standard for covenant marriage than that. Just as God has a, an incredibly high standard for his covenant with you, that he's made promises to you that even when you failed him, he has kept his promises. And he expects that kind of covenant relationship from you, that God doesn't just want you to love him in word only. God wants you to love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. God wants love, covenant love from us in every part of our being. In the same way, in your covenant relationship with your spouse, in the covenant relationship you make with another person. It is to be held to the highest standard and taken with the utmost seriousness and sincerity. Yet even many of the religious leaders were not holding themselves to this high standard. It had become so easy to divorce a wife in Jesus' day among the Jewish people that they didn't even need to have cause. Moses had put in this same sort of language where Jesus says, except in the case of sexual immorality, Moses, his language was in, in some case of indiscretion. In Jesus' day, folks didn't even need a reason. And, and he addresses like he did in the previous passage, men specifically, because men were the ones who held all the power in this issue. A man could decide to discard his wife and really not need to give a reason. As long as the paperwork was correct, he could do it. But then for the wife, there was almost no power, no ability to, to make any decisions related to her marriage. Jesus addresses the men because they held all the legal and the social power. Really, the only way a woman could bring about an end to her marriage was to go commit that indiscretion or do something that, that maybe she thought would force her husband's hand to grant the certificate of divorce. So many were holding this idea of covenant marriage loosely, and Jesus, much like he's done already in these commands we've looked at, is using very forceful language to call very clear attention to the importance of upholding one's commitment to covenant marriage according to God's design to the very highest level. As I said, Jesus talked about this, taught about this on other occasions. Because that marriage covenant was not being honored, even among the leaders, one of those cases was in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew tells us that this was an occasion where, once again, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked him a question, not because they really wanted to hear his answer, but because they were testing him. They were trying to trap him in his words so that they might discredit his teaching. The Pharisees asked, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Again, there you see how 
loosely people were taking this command to maintain their covenant marriage. Jesus replied, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then Jesus delivers the line that we almost always use as the last line when we do a Christian wedding ceremony. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, let no man separate. This, as Jesus is teaching and answering the question of the Pharisees, but teaching on marriage, is God's design for marriage. This is related to divorce. It's related to not handing the certificate. It's related to the covenant. But Jesus uses very specific words that I know we live in a culture, we live in a time where there are lots of ways people will define marriage. And you can go seek out lots of alternate definitions for marriage. But if you're wanting the one that's biblical, and and listen, some will twist. They will twist the words of Scripture to try to make them fit what they want their definition to be. But here Jesus uses very specific words. As he's talking about marriage covenant, he's also talking about about design. That God created marriage even with the first human beings in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. That it would be between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, leave their father and mother joined together united in god and what god has joined together in that covenant relationship scripture says let no one come in and separate it that is the standard we hold that's how specifically god wants us to view covenant marriage and yet even the experts in the law in jesus day weren't holding that high standard Jesus continues in this dialogue with the Pharisees. They ask, well, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? They they already had their next question loaded and ready, depending on what Jesus said. But listen to the way Jesus describes the views of God's people toward that covenant relationship. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. It was not this way from the beginning. God's design from the beginning was seen in the first man and woman. What marriage is supposed to look like, how it is supposed to be held, how we are supposed to treat it. And these kinds of words, depending where you're having these conversations, are not always popular. They're not always well-received. But I submit to you that you can say with full confidence, these aren't your words or mine, and they're not just words from Scripture. They're words from Jesus Christ himself. This is God's intention. And listen, if you've been around our church for any amount of time, hopefully you know and you see that I don't hold up a person or a group and take pot shots, okay? That's not the way I do things. That's not the way we do things around here. I I don't magnify the sins of others and then whisper about the sins that I struggle with, okay? And I hope you don't do that either. This isn't about being 
mean or launching an attack or discriminating or anything along those lines the best way i know how to preach a hard text like this is just to be clear about what it says and god here speaking to us through the savior himself reminds us that there is a clear design for covenant marriage and he also calls us who we who are true disciples to hold that design and that covenant relationship to the absolute highest standard and yet listen i know that it very likely every single family in this room has been affected by divorce in one way or another my family certainly has been affected by divorce and anybody who has dealt with that personally undoubtedly cringes at this language of adultery and and that person who marries the divorced person in adultery and i know this is hard teaching it was hard teaching last week when we talked about gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands right but jesus is using strong forceful language so that we would not take this teaching and this command and this picture that he's giving us of true covenant marriage lightly and i've had some couples in my 20 plus years of ministry who i've counseled in a marriage crisis that ultimately ended up separating and getting divorced and in some of those cases listen i know this is hard but in some of those cases it was right there were situations where a person was dealing with abuse the 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 level of toxic toxicity in that relationship had reached a point where it was dangerous for one of those spouses to stay in that relationship and as i look through this text and i think about all the different meanings of the word immorality the word that jesus uses here is a word that will have a familiar sounding root it's the word porneia and it literally means sexual immorality but there are some cases where there's no clear evidence that infidelity has happened but there is abuse and there is a root of evil that has grown and borne fruit in that marriage and each couple has to walk through those things following the lord's leadership closely but when i counsel with couples who are preparing to get married when i counsel with couples who are in crisis in their marriage i say without question that god holds this covenant relationship to the highest level and he expects those vows that we make in the sight of god and to our spouse to be vows that we make for life he expects that this relationship we have without the those exceptions of abuse being considered these these relationships that we have are until one of us experiences physical death and i want to say very personally to you this morning if you are a part of a marriage that's in crisis if you're in a tough situation as husband and wife i want to encourage you and challenge you unless there's abuse in the relationship to not give up the fight for your spouse and to not give up the fight for your marriage to know that there is help that we can provide here at the church and there is other help we can help provide for you and i say this as someone who has had to fight for my own spouse and my own marriage I, i've told you this before but it bears saying again pastors aren't perfect and all of these commandments that we're dealing with these three weeks in this part of the sermon on the mount there have been seasons of my life where i have not been the best example all of us struggle and my 
own marriage has not always been perfect. But thanks be to God for my beautiful, wonderful wife. When, when I said that in the last service, she was sitting right there, so I made sure and point her out. That we have walked through 20 plus years of marriage, and there have been a couple of times where we've had to practice what we preach, and we've been going through a very stressful and hard season, and we've gone to get help. We've sat with a marriage counselor and said, we've sort of reached an impasse on some things, and we need to work through it. We are going to fight for our marriage together. We look back on those times now, and we'll always talk about, sure, there were some wonderful tools and principles that we gained from going through counseling ourselves, but the number one thing we look back on and we remember is that as we sat in that room together, we could look at each other and say, we're both still here, and we're both fighting for each other, and we are both going to take this covenant relationship and our love for each other with the utmost sincerity and seriousness and fight for each other. Jesus, teaching on divorce and marriage and the covenant that we make to each other, is not laying out the grounds where we might find a justification for divorce. Instead, he is reinforcing the importance of our covenant relationship. And he's calling men specifically who had all of the social and, and legal power to view their covenant vow to their wife with holiness and to stop finding one reason after another to, dis, to discard that covenant and to discard their wives. Because the man was in that dominant position, this teaching was also a way that Jesus was calling for protection for women who were so mistreated in the first century. And here again, Jesus is valuing the marriage covenant to the highest degree, and he commands his true disciples to do the same. True disciples honor God's standards for the covenant marriage relationship. And then the next command that Jesus gets to the heart of flows just right out of this one beautifully because once again it deals with being true to our word true disciples are true to the lord and are trustworthy to others and the way jesus teaches about this truth and this trustworthiness is by talking about making a vow or swearing an oath he said Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city, and here Jesus is talking about himself, the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no so that it will be clear that nothing you're saying comes from the evil one. Anything that is not judged to be true based on just simply your yes or your no comes from the evil one. There's an interesting downward direction that this language Jesus is using here. It takes us from the creator to the creation. If you look back to the Hebrew scriptures again, Jesus 
throughout this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking to them about things that God had already said and said very consistently. And there are many times throughout the Hebrew Scriptures that God talks about making vows or swearing oaths, and he gives parameters for doing such a thing. He says that it, it, it's okay to, to make oaths, but we always must be sure that, first of all, the oaths we make are not false. In other words, if we're going to make an oath or make a vow, we better mean the words that we're saying. And if in the midst of making an oath or, or a vow, we speak words that we know are not true, then we have greatly sinned against God. But then the other part of, of the consistent teaching of the Hebrew Scriptures related to vows and oaths is that we would never be irreverent in the words we use when we make a, a vow or when we swear an oath that relates to the creator or to creation so notice sort of how it moves in the downward direction it starts from the realm of the creator heaven to the creation earth then a city then a human being or we might say it this way it, it moves from from god to the image of god don't swear by god himself and don't swear by his image human beings the ancient Christian Cyril of Alexandria said it, and, and there is a, a typo in this quote, so listen to me carefully as I read it correctly. So Jesus said this in order that we should not give to creation an honor surpassing the creator. That we would not swear by heaven or earth or, or, or a city or a person in such a way that we deify creation. And we elevate creation to the level of the creator. No, instead, Jesus says all you need to do is simply say yes or no because anything else comes from the evil one. I love the way G. Campbell Morgan talked about oaths. He said an oath is always a reminder that there is a possibility of deceit. The fact that one needs to swear an oath to make another believe him shows that at other times he has likely not been true. Jesus is saying we, as his disciples, as his people, should live by truth and in truth to such a degree that oaths are never necessary because we are so known by being people of truth and being trustworthy that the words that proceed from our mouths come with an inherent trust because we've proven by our actions that the words we say are indeed true. So oaths should never be necessary. Just as an oath doesn't make a lie become true, so Jesus is saying, avoid using extra language. Live in such a way that you are known to be a person of truth by the way that you live. The standard that Jesus sets for truth and trustworthiness, he also modeled for us in so many clear ways. This Sunday and next, I want to just point us to examples when Jesus actually puts this into practice. He takes this teaching like here, not swearing an oath, but simply letting your yes be yes and your no be no, and he, he has an opportunity to put this into practice and he does it there's a story later in matthew when jesus is standing before the high priest caiaphas and as we read this you'll see that caiaphas 
commands Jesus to swear an oath. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you offer no answer for what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I place you under oath by the living God to tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. But Jesus said to him, Caiaphas, you have said it yourself. And I love this, by the way, this moment where Jesus makes clear who's in charge and who is not. Caiaphas cannot command Jesus to take an oath. Caiaphas is not sitting in a seat to demand that the Savior of mankind, the Son of God, swear an oath in front of him. But Jesus says, no, Caiaphas, my yes is going to be yes and my no is going to be no. I'm not going to swear an oath, but indeed, Caiaphas, the very words you have just said, you've said it yourself, they are true. I am the Christ, the Son of God. I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and then coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus had no need to swear an oath. He had no need to place his hand on the Bible and say, I swear. Jesus lived. Jesus taught. Jesus spoke. Jesus modeled for us such a way of living that no swearing, no oath is necessary. When Jesus said yes, it was yes. When Jesus said no, it was no. All you need to do is simply let your yes be yes and your no be no because true disciples are true to the Lord and are trustworthy in their relationships with others. Last Sunday, this Sunday, as we finish this section next week, again, we'll use this phrase, the transformed life. The picture that Jesus gives us of true discipleship, what it looks like for us to continually be being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That God sees all of our hearts, all of our ways, all of our steps, and he commands us to pursue Christ-likeness in them all. When it comes to anger and hatred, true disciples of Jesus Christ are held to a much higher standard than simply, thou shalt not murder. True disciples resist anger and hatred and instead pursue peacemaking and reconciliation. When it comes to lust and sexual sin, true disciples of Jesus Christ are held to a much higher standard than simply, you shall not commit adultery. True disciples resist immoral desires and behavior and instead pursue holiness and purity when it comes to honoring god's design for covenant marriage true disciples of jesus christ are held to a much higher standard than simply making sure someone has a certificate of divorce placed in their hand true disciples honor god's standards for covenant marriage and the covenant marriage relationship and when it comes to truth True disciples of Jesus Christ are held to a much higher standard than not making a vow or swearing an oath. True disciples are true to the Lord and are trustworthy to others. And as we think, think through this hard teaching, again, what seems impossible 
and is impossible without God, but all things are possible with Christ Jesus. I want to simply hold before us as we close today the image of Jesus Christ himself. That there is not one human being in this room, including myself, that that we could put on this platform and hold up as an example and say this person has it down, this person has it perfect, this person is blameless in all of those areas. But I can tell you with full confidence that I can point you to Jesus Christ and say that is absolutely true about him. If you have any doubt or any question what it looks like to be perfect in the sight of our Heavenly Father, what it looks like to live in a way that is pleasing to God in every single moment of life. Jesus Christ is the standard. Jesus Christ is that person. And today, the call that goes out to all of us, that that call to become a true disciple is not that we follow anyone else, any other group, any other idea, but that we follow Jesus Christ with all of our hearts, and all of our lives and that from this day forward we say Jesus Christ is the standard and as his disciples those who follow him he's who we want to be like he is our example because he alone is our Savior and Lord as we move here in this moment to a time where you're invited to make a, a response to to step out and and publicly make a response Jesus Christ is the one we're calling you to. This is who Jesus is. These incredible words we're reading, that's how he lived. This is what he modeled. And Jesus Christ is worth following. There is no higher purpose. There is nothing greater you could accomplish with your life than being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Today, if you have never committed your life to follow him, to give all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love to the Lord, Today, this is your opportunity to step out and to follow Christ as a true disciple from this day forward. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that today you would continue to take this hard teaching and point us to you. Point us to the word that you've given us that is to be written on our hearts. And point us to the living word, Jesus Christ, who showed us in human flesh what the content of our character is supposed to look like. What a life that is perfect and truly pleasing to you is to be. Lord, I, I pray today that every single one of us, wherever we find ourselves, that you would draw our hearts close to you and that you would lead us to a point of surrender that we would say we follow you we are committing all of ourselves for all of our lives to follow you closely and to continue to be the people that you're transforming us to be that we might be the image of your son and we might reflect your glory in every place that you send us i pray for each disciple in this room and for us as your church lord that we would continue to be a light in all the places you've sent us and I pray today, Lord, if there is someone whose heart has been far away from you, that you would draw them to yourself. And Lord, that today they would commit to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.